Welcome back, everybody, to the Deer Vane Podcast. Today, we have Aaron Snyder on. And Aaron, if you don't know him, uh, he's one of the part owners of Kafaru International now. They make awesome uh, USA American-made packs. And then he also hosts Kafaru Cast. If you haven't listened to Kafaru Cast, it's one of the God, you got to be in the top 10 for sure. Maybe top five podcasts. Uh, yeah, I don't know. For downloads, I just looked. We're, I think we're at 12 and a half million in three years. Yeah. I mean, yeah, a lot. No, <laughs> I don't really, yeah, I don't pay attention, honestly, because we, we don't, we aren't like a spot. We, you know, we're, we don't take money from anyone. I don't really, really have to pay attention to those numbers, thank God. But we looked the other day just to see. So, yeah, we, it's, uh, it's going well. Yeah. Oh, it's going really well. I think. Yeah, the reason I was looking at it was because when I was working on this podcast, I was trying to get classified in like the outdoor podcast arena on iTunes or whatever. And yeah. I wasn't even like classified in it. So I was like, well, who the hell's in here? You know, and it's all of it's all of Renella's podcasts, you know, like the top few. And then and then you're right in there with um Exodus and a few others that are right up on top. But um but yeah, so put more what's that we should probably put more effort into uh promoting it we don't we we don't do a very good job we don't we don't really pay for you know any effort <laughs> but uh we yeah. i'm sure we point. nah i i mean obviously you guys are doing well anyway and you have more packs coming in you have more orders coming in than you guys ha can handle right i mean fulfillment's a big issue for you guys right now well, it always, it actually is better now than it ever has been. And it's still bad. Um, <laughs> we're, we're working on it, but uh, the growth, we just didn't, uh, we always, I always expect a lot of growth and uh, with us lowering ship times, you know, to like a week, basically. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's crazy. Like the February we just had was the largest month we've ever had. And that's our slow season. And, and it's, <laughs> yeah. Whatever. So yeah. Holy cow. You think, uh, so tell, if people don't know what, what Kafaru is, you want to tell them he's mentioned it, that a little it, bit? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kafaru was uh, started or founded by Patrick Smith, who was the founder of Mountain Smith. Uh, he, he sold it after several years and then started Kafaru. Um, I started working there. Well, not really working. I started showing up there um, <laughs> in 2011 or 12, and then uh you know what you know very long story condensed i became the the ceo and president in 2014 15 and then 10 months ago my my partner and i bought it um we do uh american made uh, and not just assembled in america like all american made with american components and everything else backpacks sleeping bags shelters um you know, different pockets, survival blankets, uh, things like that. And so we sell to the military and hunters and outfitters, mostly, obviously we get some backpackers too. Sure. Yeah. And the thing like that, that, that important thing to mention that I didn't realize was so important, but you can certainly tell the second you like get your hands on a Kafaru pack is like the quality of the zippers and the quality of the buckles. Like those are like generally the first things that if you get a crappy backpack or something from Fleet Farm, you just like instantly know like, wow, this thing's going to fall apart or it's going to break or something like that. I've had a, I've had a woodsman for almost 10 years now and I've beat the piss out of that thing and nothing's gone wrong with it. Yeah. I don't think people realize. So a pack we're coming out with uh, next month, I have all my videos and photos from it 
in August, September, and October of last year. And we tested it for that entire year. And then we won't even come out. There's a lot of testing involved. Uh, you know, our frames are usually three years before we come to market with them. And, you know, nothing against other companies, but I see other companies have some failures and uh, catastrophic type failures. Yeah. And in people um, online bring us up and say that, you know, they obviously aren't testing like Kafar is something we pride ourselves in. And they'll be like, well, nobody has that time to, to test. You can't wait that long to bring a product to, to market. And you can, I mean, it sucks, especially if you're excited about it because there's something you want to bring to market, but there's standards set at the company that there's five kind of heads of the table that if I start to do something stupid, whether I'm the owner or not, they'll conk me in the head and slow me down. So it's, it's a lot more of a team effort there. Uh, but yeah, the, I have a video of a, the pack we're coming out within a month. And that was in September while I was elk hunting. So it does take us that much testing before we approve something. So, yeah. And, and the, you're kind of underplaying the testing there because if, if you don't know, Aaron, like it's not a week hunt in September, that's not a test. That's not a test for you guys. Right. <laughs> No, no. Exactly. Uh, so that bag itself saw 13 animals and um, 11 hunts, I guess, total um, of just field use plus backpacking and fishing. And obviously then what we do, you know, indoors to test it. And that was just me. Um, that doesn't include what, you know, Frank and some other guys did. So it's, it's quite a bit um, like when we test frames. Uh, well, I got hounded on about this but i threw a sheep on my pack to see if i could break That's the frame right. and of course there's all kinds of i mean i did like 17 or 18 people um but for us it's to see you know everybody will come in and say well why don't you just stack weights in it or why don't you do this or you're trying to be a hero which on, honestly if i do it again i wouldn't post the video because it was more or less i wanted to show it's not going to break um yeah. but people do that and i don't think people understand that we have guys that will strap it literally an entire mule deer or sheep to a pack to go a mile well if they're going to do it then we, we kind of have to test it that way so we test it in the worst conditions possible is it smart of, of course not could i have gutted the sheep well it was funny how many people are like oh you're ruining the meat you're a trophy hunter and it's like the truck was 100 yards away uh, you know, it, it took me a couple minutes to get there. That's no different than, you know, shooting a deer in a tree stand and waiting for another one to come in. No, no meat was wasted, but yeah. I get it. You know, that people are going to complain, but we truly, that, that pack will see 20 more of those before it even gets started that frame before it even begins to think about leaving the starting blocks to go into production. Yeah, no. And that's, that's something that, you know, when you, with the company that I work with and whatnot, you, you get one shot to make that first impression, right? Because then, yeah. I mean, if somebody buys a Kafaro pack and you guys release it too soon and it breaks and they're like, man, I thought Kafaro was quality. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, that's, that's your reputation on the line. So I, I think people can understand that. And, and you guys have a successful enough business right now that you're not grasping for the next, next new thing to put out there to make your next margins. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, companies that that do that um for, for <laughs> yeah with us we're also 
heavily involved. Like everybody that works there now is hearts in the company. I mean, everybody is, I mean, we're moving to Wyoming in a year and two people aren't moving and we're still going to keep them employed uh, just because we, we, we feel that important about our employees. Um, yeah. So you hire 39 people right now and 36 of them are moving with us. So without the blink of an eye, they're like, yeah, we'll move. So yeah, we have a very loyal, loyal, uh, loyal customer, excuse me, loyal employee. Yeah, no, that's, and that's great. Like, I mean, there's a lot of things that, that as I've, as I've listened to you over the years, as well as where the kind of the country's headed and all that, it's kind of like, you know, I'm not buying from Amazon as, anymore. I'm buying from companies who, who are local, who I, who I know are doing American made stuff. And, and especially, um, and I know that like some people might look at your packs and be like, you know, 300 bucks for a backpack, like F off, man, you know, yeah. it's kind of, and it's, and it's one of those things that's like, yeah, do you want to buy, you know, 10 backpacks over the next uh, 30 years or do you want to buy two or one? Yeah. Yeah. And we get a lot from, you know, people and a lot of it's putting um, things into perspective. Um, this sounds horrible. If you don't kill anything, you're probably not, maybe won't see the benefit of it as much as you would um, a different pack. Because if you don't pack anything out, then, you know, five pounds is comfortable you know with anything you know with any any pack or whatever yeah. so we try to stress that to people like it's the longevity of the pack the comfort uh you know obviously the customer service and there's some people though that uh, amazingly enough will never have owned our pack and only tree stand hunt it and hop on a forum and blast the hell out of us for expensive and then i can look on their post and four earlier are you know, just hammering American flag and I hate the current administration and American, whatever. And I'm like, well, what you said is kind of counterintuitive, you know, like that yeah. doesn't really make sense. You know, I don't, I don't get on there and say too much, but it is important to us. I mean, we want to stay as much as we can and some things you can't make in the U S um, you know, we haven't hit one of those yet, but we're, we're working on one now trying to get it, you know, made here. And, and some things you just, you can't um for us so far though we've been able to do everything here yeah and back to your point about hauling out a, a whole deer i ended up doing that one season uh ended up it was a, it was a late gun season here in wisconsin and when i go there's a i hunt a lot of public ground around my house um and i was out in a in a pretty dirty swamp it was uh those mole hills you know what i'm talking about where it's just like yeah yeah, so those molehills all over the place. And I just found some high ground, ended up shooting a doe, uh, realized I forgot my flashlight at home. And it was about 15 minutes before dark. So I was like, all right, what the hell am I going to do here? And I didn't want to hike out to hike back into this shithole. So yeah. I, I brought that woodsman in case. Um, and that's a discontinued pack, right? You guys don't sell that anymore. Uh, we sell it sometimes. Actually, we're, we're just continuing the zipper all the way up the middle eventually. But, okay. but yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So I literally, I, I, I pulled that frame. I pulled that pack, the pack off the frame, put it back on, clipped it all up and just shoved it in between well, for right or wrong, the pack and the frame. And just, That's what you, have. you don't have a choice. Uh, that load, <laughs> like when I talk to people, I'm like, man, for a day pack, like the woodsman, it yeah. makes sense. It's when you have, we'll have an 8,000 cubic inch backpack. And somebody, the first thing I'll say is, does it have a load shelf? And I'm like, 
why are you buying an 8,000 cubic inch pack if you need nobody can humanly you, you can't carry that much um <laughs> right you know and so i try to put it to where i don't get anybody in trouble with their where their uh their grasp is far exceeding their physical ability and it's like well if you have an 8,000 cubic inch pack full and need the shelf you're not you know you're going to cause some pro and it's not going to be comfortable and so but day packs that shelf makes a, a lot of sense yeah i think maybe brian shaw can handle that yeah i know he lives there. <laughs> he, he sat behind it was funny i was at the ata show in 2016 and uh i don't you know not don't really get enamored by too many outdoor people and then i fanboyed the hell out of Brian Shaw, he's been like somebody I've looked up to in the strength side of things. You know, I used to power lift. He sat behind me in the airplane and uh, he sat beside me when we were getting on the plane and we were talking back and forth and talk about the nicest guy in the world for the fact he could squash you with his left hand and he's right handed and just the nicest dude in the world. He's just a monster, though. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I watched uh, I recently watched a, a YouTube video and um, a, a dude who is six, five and uh, 270 pounds like hey man you you want to wrestle and Shaw yeah. was like did you watch that have you seen that yeah. or no oh yeah he sucked him up like a you know <laughs> and I was like holy cow right yeah exactly it's like dude you're 270 pounds and six five like and you look small next to this man <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and he just picked you up and kind of threw you and then he looked at you and said uh the thing that like made me laugh really hard was when he's like I just I don't I don't want to hurt you yeah. <laughs> so he's yeah. like I can't I can't do all out or anything because I, I don't want to hurt you I've done it once in my life I hurt somebody on accident so I just don't want to anymore <laughs> yeah 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 um, yeah so one of the one of the things that that you that you said you say often enough and and we talked about it real quick you touched on it earlier is something that's really kind of helped me in life in general and especially like having this podcast, which is like a, a stay in your lane. If you don't know what you're talking about, don't provide the input. Just say, I don't know. Yeah. Right. Um, and that's something that that's really helped me a lot in terms of just like work and life and, and it, on this podcast, like I said, because it's not like don't want to over exaggerate yourself and make you make you seem like you're smarter than you are. Or you know, all these things. Cause that's what social media is for. Right. Yeah. Before that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And one of the, <clears throat> so, so you say that, and then, and then you also talk about all the testing you do with packs um, for anybody who hasn't, who hasn't listened to Aaron, he does a ton of testing as well with broad heads and bows. And yeah. <clears throat> that's one of the, that's one of the biggest things that, that everybody talks about all the time, which is like broadheads and arrow setups. Like it's just like a, a, a running conversation that never ends on social media. And there's, you know, one of the, one of the biggest eye-opening things to me was like years ago, I was looking at a, at a post like, Hey, what's everyone shooting for broadheads? Who has, who has a really high quality broadhead out there? One of my friends who I know has, he shoots his bow like two or three times a year and he's never killed an animal in his life posts on there and starts bragging about a broadhead and how good it is. And yeah. I was like, and he's having conversations with these people about how good this broadhead is. 
And I'm like, dude, I know you've never killed anything. Like, I don't even know if you've ever shot them into your target. Yeah. <laughs> that happens a lot. <laughs> right. So, so one of the, one of the big things is, is like Aaron shoots like 30 to 40 animals a year, at least. Yeah. Yeah. Something yeah, in that least, range. Double that. Um, last <laughs> couple. Yeah. Yeah. I get a lot of depredation tags. So yeah, yeah. It, I, a lot of, you know, people immediately when they listen to that, it's, it's immediately a bragging thing. And it's like, look, I'm not saying that, um, you know, um, as a bragging thing, it's a, Hey, I've put a lot of arrows through animals thing. So, uh, you know, when I, when I'm, I'm not trying to sell you anything as I offer up four different suggestions, I'm trying to save you money. Uh, it's, it's, I'm only giving a number. So, you know, I'm, I'm not that guy. You know what I mean? I'm not the guy that put one arrow through a doe, which there's nothing wrong with that. I get to hunt a lot and I, but with hunting a lot, I get to shoot a lot. And so I, I get, I pick up a lot of knowledge from that. And so I try to spread that, that knowledge to help save people money and potentially a lost or wounded animal um, and confusion on tuning. Cause that's another crisis level. <laughs> <laughs> that is a tuning is a certain <laughs> very, and that is like the hardest one to answer through Instagram messages. Right. That's like, that's like a 20 minute conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I get a lot of those too. And it's like, Hey, I need more info uh, or, Hey, I can't answer this, you know, probably correctly uh, off of, I got to see you shoot and I got to see your bow, you know, like sometimes it's just not, uh, you know, something that um, uh, there's so many variables in tuning. And, and if your grip sucks or your, you know what, I mean, there's a lot of different things that are just more than getting an arrow to fly. I mean, you could get an arrow to fly on your first shot. And if you have bad form, your third, fourth or second, third, fourth, and fifth could be bad. And then your sixth is good again. Right. Call it a victory and walk away. Cause I mean, you can't better than that. If you know, you gotta be, if you're, if your ability is to stop sign at 40 yards, you can't expect the, the arrows to just be heat sinkers and find themselves in the middle of that's how tight you hold your bow. Right. Yeah, no. And, and that's like, the reason I bring that up is, is because, um, one of the main reasons that I listen to your podcast and especially some of those more gear gear centric podcasts is because I know when you, when you talk about different broadheads or different arrow spines or different tuning levels that you're, you you've actually got weight behind it. You have substance behind it. And it's not somebody on Facebook who's, you know, shoots their bow three, you know, three months a year and then tells you all about how to tune it. Like, yeah, obviously it's, it's not what you're after. I mean, you're set you said today you're you're waiting for some bows to show up so you can shoot a tournament this weekend yeah yeah i've got um wf 19s from cd archery um i ordered a couple i had one and my son-in-law took a little pecker head so i uh <laughs> I, I ordered a couple more and, and gonna try to you know tune them out today um it's actually uh i need to clean my garage so while i'm waiting for the <laughs> clean the garage while i'm waiting my, my garage is a shithole right now just from doing seminars and, uh, you know, packages show up because, you know, people send stuff like, I don't know, my wife's in the living room. But if I'm gone 10 days, there's probably 40 packages of gear to, to test when I get, you know, back and not gear I, I asked for, just gear, you know, to test, which is super cool. So like with this, this bow, and it's the same way we test packs, I'll do in my initial yep good so far i like it no no real downsides uh you know report back and i'll do three six nine months in a year 
full use in different environments, whether it be Alaska or BC, Colorado, high altitude, snow, you know, there's a lot of, and broadheads are the same way, like, okay, what's the best flying broadhead? Okay, that's just <laughs> one of the pie chart. That's just a fraction of it. So this one flies the best, but it's loud, but you're not going to get a lot of blood. You know, there's a lot of different variables. So yeah, yeah, I get to test a lot of crap. It's well, at the house, we got 40 some 3ds and then there's arrows laying i gotta clean them up arrow everywhere from you know testing from durability or, or uh you know i do compound too so long range like uh you know when you start stretching it out at 120 um you, you know like especially broadhead you know it just because it hits at 80 doesn't mean you know what wind drag and everything else so those are all things that go into the testing is um any environment you could possibly put yourself in or the arrow, for example, what's going to be the most durable with the best amount of speed and the most momentum to punch a hole and then, you know, for the arrow and then what's your best option with what's screwed on the end of it and then the components. So there's a lot, lot to it, not to run on forever, but this bow, I'll, I'll set it up, I'll group tune it. Uh, and then I'll side by side by my primary bow right now, I'll shoot groups fit 40 to see which one you know groups better and really I, I did that bow review recently for recurves and uh kind of the best yeah. custom bow, a widow uh the best ilf for me was the satori cater torch what does ilf mean uh you know what you'd have to go international it's a interchangeable limb uh okay. you know how you arc a swiss plate for a tripod the yeah. the plate on it's a universal mount ilf is a it I'd have to look it up because I can't remember. Uh, it's a universal interchangeable limb. So when you talk about an ILF limb, any any limb or an ILF riser, any ILF limb will snap into it. And it. so like the Satori's an ILF uh, limb pocket, basically. And I kind of rated that number one for the hunting uh, ILF version. And I rated the WF-19 for the catered a little more towards target, but also hunt version. Well, I want to, I never have shot them side by side for long periods of time and shot tournaments. So I had so many people say, Hey, so Satori or WF 19. And it's like, well, they're both really good, but I'm going to dive into it for the next three months and, and, uh, see which one you, know, cause they are expensive, right? Even a Satori's 469, I think, uh, it's a little bit more for that WF 19, 550 or 580 or something. So it's a lot of money to put in. Of course, they're never going to break. It's aluminum, right? That is one thing they last forever. Like wood bows over time can get damaged. Uh, aluminum rise, aluminum riser, you could defend your life with and beat the hell out of a bear and then go kill another bear with it, you know? So they're, they're terrible. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't know, like, so you have me interested in the trad, in the trad life, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, uh, but I also, I also am at the point right now where when I'm hunting, like, I'm just hoping to, to get multiple animals on the ground a year. I'm not, yeah. I'm not interested in, in trying to make it more difficult for myself yet. <laughs> and it will, it will be initially anyway. It's, it's, it's funny. Cause when I started, I was saying a lot of, if I have my camp compound, you'd be dead. Mm -hmm. Uh, Oh, and to now, I actually prefer the recurve inside of 40 uh, most of the time. Um, I would say 90% of the time, I, I prefer it over a compound. Now, obviously, reaching out and touching something is a, a little bit different. The compound's far better, but um, 
it, it's it's funner for me, but I also have a lot of time off. I get to practice a lot, you know. I, I yeah. and so when I've said this before, and it's like if I, for me, I was kind of losing my desire for shooting like I used to have. I used to take sick days to set up a new bow, right? Like I would take a day off and call in sick. Um, just to set up a new Hoyt or whatever, you know, do elite. And then it got to a point I'd have four bows and boxes downstairs that would sit there for a month so that I just didn't have time or didn't want to test to where with like the recurve, I took today off to do two things. This podcast, three, maybe if I'm not lazy, clean my garage and set those bows up. Yeah. I didn't have that anymore with the compound. So I started it almost as a dare, but now it has definitely like rekindled the flame for, for shooting. Yeah, I remember I remember when you so prior to the Kafaru cast, you were on the gritty, gritty podcast, you and Brian were together, and you guys split off. And then it was shortly after that, that you started switching over to the trad, right? And it was a lot of it was, you couldn't do that shit with a trad bow. You couldn't do that with a recurve. In 16, Brian and I, that was kind of when the, the gritty thing was really, you know, going well. Um uh, and I did a podcast with Brian on ethical shooting distance. Uh, and I did it, you know, God forbid the voice of reason and, and math comes into play. I just broke it down, uh, speed, uh, you know, 178 foot per second, how long that arrow takes to get to 35 yards in comparison to a 288 feet per second arrow. How long does that take to get to 70 and how close are those time? Right. And yeah, it got the voice of reason stood in and then I just got hate mail. Like, uh, you well pick up a stick bow you'll never kill anything you know that kind of crap and a lot of them and i'm like fuck it i'm up for a challenge so i sold every <laughs> compound i had i mean it was a great day at the snyder house for my friends because i had probably 10 sites seven or eight bows uh bow presses everything you could possibly imagine piles of arrow rest and i'm like come get it boys like you know whatever so <laughs> i had a giant wad of cash and i went down to rocky mountain and you know, I sent a text to like eight people and said, Hey, I'm going trad. Like, that's all I'm going to do this year. And it was like January and, uh, Tom Clum, the Rocky Mountain specialty gear. I sent him a text and they were like, come down, let's get it going. And I shot it for a year with, I think I shot maybe nine or 10 animals that year. Um, couple bad experience. I wounded a white tail, I guess is the real, you know, the worst experience. And in 17, I, you know, I, I shooting a, stick i do not make much money for endorsements right no no stick will come pays for that where with the compound it's significant i mean i'm not at a level of levi morgan he gets like a million dollars a year from matthews so yeah it made me kind of reconstruct not reconstruct. as i dove into it i'm looking at websites and how marketing is ran for stick bow companies and traditional archery and i have made a lot of waves um with <laughs> you know because I was like, well, look, guys, common sense. Why would anybody choose to shoot a stick bow at a young age when you're looking at a Levi Morgan who is hunting everywhere, who's publicized the TV show, multiple people like that. They get paid to shoot. There's not as much, you know, people come back. You got to do it for the right reasons. I'm like, yeah, explain that to a 17-year-old kid. Yeah, you got to do it for the right reasons, son. Screw Levi. I know he's making, you know, two million a year in endorsements, but uh you need to know about this and, and no, no kid is going to understand that or very few. Right. So as I got into it more, I actually went back to the compound in 17 and I shot a bunch of animals, but it just wasn't there for me. And in Alberta, you know, first stock of the day, 
shot I don't know, whatever 160 something inch buck just a decent buck then and i wasn't really my heart rate didn't even go up i was like oh cool and then that night uh that afternoon my my buddy had a longbow and we went in on a stock together and i i filmed it and he shot a deer at 10 yards and i mean my hands never shake right i just don't get it and literally watching him shoot it my hand was shaking a little and i'm like well that was way cooler than what i did like and he knew they knew i was going back to the stick bow at that point yeah and and i and I got back from that hunt and, and I was like, all right, no more. When I say no more compound, like I obviously try to test and I'll shoot a few animals a year with one. But I, if I have a choice, obviously I'm always going to shoot that stick bow. Yeah. I, I mean, from that, from that perspective, I can imagine it's like, if, if people wanted to compare that, it's like going deer hunting only with a rifle. And then all of a sudden you switch to a bow and now you're like, Dude, why, why did I ever shoot one with a rifle? Yeah, you know, it just in terms of not in terms of like the meat getting functionality, just in terms of 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 the the level of experience that you're that you're giving yourself. Right. Yeah. 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 And it's definitely a lot more rewarding. Um, of course, you know, along with that in social media, the hate pages always have some stick bow uh, comment, which, you know, I try not to dive into too much. Um, get, I'm kind of vegan stick bow type of a deal or whatever, but uh, I obviously am not suffering from, from that. Thank God. So I, we do eat a lot of meat. That's cool. But I, I think that uh, when people, if you've kind of, you don't, you're not a technology guy, you kind of get frustrated, let's say at tuning with the compound, um, you know, or you just have lost desire. I think a stick bow is a, a great idea, at least to own one. Um, even if you're just flinging arrows, at pine cones and crap, it's funner. I mean, you, oh, you yeah. can't shooting with a compound, right? You just, you, you could, but you'll be out of arrows and six shots. So where you can stump shoot and it, it's also, uh, you know, you're definitely going to, hold on one sec. Will you grab a kombucha for me? Yeah, it's got my wife. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, no, no worries. How she like real estate market is popping right now. Yeah, it's, it is. The only, um, the only bad thing is there's no houses to sell because every. <laughs> them up so fast so um but yeah it's uh it's 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 good um we're you know where she's looking for a house for us and uh did you need to get here? No, okay. okay she she's looking for a house for us in wyoming right now so nice um sorry i forgot where we, i forgot where we were we were talking about me going back from compound to chad yep. and get pinched of it Dog hey look at this Aaron's, hey buddy. Aaron, on Aaron's podcast, he talks about feeding these dogs multiple pounds of meat a day. Yeah. That dog is massive. <laughs> it's to their brothers, so yeah, Odin and Magnus. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Good names. Um, yeah, one of the things that uh, that you said earlier um, that I wanted to go back to was, why do you prefer a trad, uh, your recurve within 40? Like, what's the reason for that you don't have to you know when you shoot a compound you, you you draw you anchor you get your nose on the string corner of your mouth center up the peep sight where with the stick i can grip it and rip it pretty quick um so when i say 40 i'm just i can shoot good groups at 40 so that's that's yeah. why it's for um but you know what i should really say sub you know it's 40 because i'm good to 40 but really sub 30 uh, or even closer um, if I go up to a, a deer in its bed and it starts to twitch, right, it's going to blow out of its bed. 
So I've got to draw anchor, you know, get where with the stick, I'm just gripping it, yeah. gripping it. You can't do that with a compound. So that's why now there are times like different angled positions and uh tree stand, you know, like not every 20 yard shot is the same. Um, so, you know, there are times where maybe a flatter trajectory, but it might be easier. But again, if, if I was to go, if, if there was a competition of some type or what, however you want to look at it and I had to go against compound guys and it was, Oh, but everybody has to shoot with inside of 40. Yeah. I would have to shoot going against, you know, anyone with the stick. And I'm not saying that as a bragging thing. I'm saying that is that you can get confident enough to where, I would have zero issue heading into the well i'm going against compound guys every year i mean i'm hunting in a combo postseason so um there are times like high country mule deer where definitely a, a compound would be easier because i can shoot them at 80 uh and, and yeah. now i'm trying to shoot them at sub 20 with big difference so yeah and i think like so two things there is back to what you said earlier again which is i think everyone should own a comp, uh, a recurve just in general for fun i have one for shooting carp like yeah you know it's a big thing around me i i used to i used to be a bow fishing guide i did that for four or five years um and it's just like you said it's just fun um it's shooting that bow and getting out there and whatnot and then i shoot it off i would shoot it off and outside of just shooting carp but at the same time you know you'd you'd have the same types of dudes that are like essentially snap shooting compounds when they could just buy you know a 45 pound recurve and do the same thing right for, for at least for carp yeah uh, it, um oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah the other the other thing is that uh i i would you know so you have me interested in in that like sub 40 and that's because you said you you practice a lot and you're able to do good groups at 40 yards almost all the deer i shoot are within 30 yards um and there are definitely like certain certain times especially if you're on the ground where uh like if you're walking in or something like that and all of a sudden you, you see some deer or hear some deer you duck behind a tree and now you have to be you have to get set up at, you know your bow has to be extremely vertical like it has to be perfectly vertical and you have to you know anchor and move your body in certain ways to make sure that 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 bow stays aligned with your form right whereas a recurve you can just turn it sideways yeah. and just let it go which i'm sure is yeah. extremely well, like, helpful um, on the spot and stalks it is uh one of the out i shot it was like i don't know five or six feet away it was one of those where i got ahead of a group and you know literally if i would have had to anchor and where i just you know a few feet away i didn't even hit an anchor point i just gangster styled it kind of sideways and zipped right through it and then um shot a mule deer at four or five feet uh the noise from drawing the compound probably would have blown that deer out and it's pretty hard you know, you know, to reef back uh, a compound and, and without any major movement where with with that deer, Frank was he flagged me in um, my, my broadhead was between its antlers. When I drew back, it was that close. That would have been difficult to, to do with a compound. Um, and there's there's yeah. several other uh, animals that I've shot sub 10 yards and even, you know, feet. And it, it probably wouldn't have panned out quite as well. Now, obviously, my stocking skills have had to increase a bit, but um, once you're that close, it, it is kind of rewarding to know, let's say you beat the animal, but you, but you, you know, you beat the animal at his own game where I didn't shoot it at 80 and use technology. I shot it at eight to 10 feet or eight to 10 yards in his living room 
where I can kind of walk away and, you know, be proud that of the effort I've put in, which, you know, if you've blown 20 stocks, you need to at least be able to fall back on something when the 21st pans out and you're like, okay, those other 20, I'm going to forget about those, but that 21st really pulled it pulled through. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I bet. And that is one thing that like, I, I think, uh, goes a little bit unmentioned in some, in some of your podcasts, which is how much, uh, how many opportunities it takes you like you you kill a lot of animals but it's not like you do one stock one kill everywhere you go not very often I, sometimes it does pan out that way but i think alberta i've been super lucky um i've shot uh, a 2019 first stock first kill 16 yards i mean suit in a five hour stock right and then made it happen but in whitetails usually like that you know i do have good luck with whitetails put myself in the right position high country mule deer and elk a little bit different um 2018 i think we hunted for 14 days straight uh between 7 and 11 miles in had to go back in i, I didn't get one 2019 uh same i went in i missed a massive deer i don't know if you listen to that lesson learned podcast with justin walski he's that dude i met on the mountain um, yeah, 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 the big dude, the one that you said was a yeah. badass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I thought I was texting my wife, but I was texting him on it. But uh, <laughs> um, that that's what I remember from that podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's he's funny because um, it, it, uh, yeah, he talked a lot about my personality. He's like, you know, it's amazing because you hear so many stories about you. Um, you, you would do anything for, as for somebody to, you know, I didn't, I, do you, I want people in my hunting area. He earned to be there and he earned to get a deer. He's also fat. So he earned for me to call him that because he needs to lose some weight. So it tells a lot about my personality because I, I gave him food. I guided him in, I flagged him in stocks, but I also was like, look, Tubby, you probably would be a lot better off. If you drop 50, 60 pounds, which he did. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That year we hunted 11 days. I missed that. It ended up going 203. It was uh, somebody killed with a rifle in the rifle right. season. It was 30, 32 and a half wide. Missed it at 12 yards. Um, called my wife, said I'm home. Um, I'd go, you know, poor pitiful me, but we had to get to Alaska for a goat hunt when I ended up shooting at Wolverine. Yeah. And came <laughs> season, which is not a good time to be in the high country. Everything's dead. So there's not a lot of feed. Hiked back in nine, 10 miles solo hunted three or four days i called frank you're supposed to meet me in, in there and i'm like dude there's, there's no deer I, I i found one buck you know and we're talking 10 hours a day on a spotter glass and finally i i got on a group of and it wasn't a big you know uh buck i mean it wasn't giant but trying to explain to somebody like out of that 41 tag look at what i got out of that you know like it was an amazing experience and then i ended up shooting at that thing at sub 15 yards in you know at 12,700 feet in a in a patch of like jack pine in an insane stock and literally when I shot it I mean it's one of the smaller mule deer I've ever killed is 120 inches or something um I won't ever forget that I mean it was an amazing experience you know when I went and I was solo and you know crap spread all over the mountain my packs in one spot my tents in another I don't have my pack. I just have my final approach pack. There's a storm coming in. So it, it, those are the things you don't 
forget. I got snowed on. I, I mean, it was a very uh, intense 48 hours from when I killed that to when I got it out just because of the weather. When, when Frank came in, because he came to help me pack it out, his beard was solid white uh, from ice. And uh, yeah, anyway, it was, it was, it was crazy. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Yeah. I've, I've heard that story. I didn't, I didn't hear that part where Frank's beard was solid white. <laughs> he got, he's, Frank is a unique individual. His mental toughness is, and for me to say this, cause I'm not, I'm not going to give you a participation trophy, you know, like I'm, if, if I'm saying it, you've definitely, you know, earned it. Um, I've never seen mental toughness out of a kid that has no experience through, you know, military or anything like that. And it's nine, I was nine and a half, 10 miles in that usually smoking it. We're at two miles an hour. Uh, so, you know, you figure if it's two miles an hour and it's eight miles, right. You're, you're four hours is what it takes. Yeah. So for me, it's four and a half. He got in there like sub three, he ran most of the way in there. And when I, the sun hasn't even come up, right. It's, it's dark. And I built a fire to warm up that next morning. And I see there's this God awful switchback. We got to climb to get out. And I see this headlamp zigzagging down. And I'm like, that fucking Frank, I'm like, what time did he leave? You know, and he drove to the trailhead, slept and got up at whatever it was, two 30 and just started crushing it coming in there. Uh, so, I mean, it tells you a lot about how Frank works. I would do the same him and have, but the time I would not have gotten in there in three hours. I was like, holy shit, he smoked it. It's that CrossFit. That's no, it's funny. So I got on testosterone. <laughs> oh, probably two and a half, three years ago, uh, just head injuries and everything else. So I put on about 14 pounds of muscle and Frank got into CrossFit. Usually training, Frank can't keep up with me. And then hiking in, we're about even. Um, we took off on, and it, it's literally a mile and a half. It, it, uh, it, it's horrible, but we cut about three miles of the trail off. Um, the shortcut that sucks. <laughs> yeah. He crushed me. Like the first 400 yards I was in front and he's behind me. Like, let's go. And I'm like, all right, dude, go ahead of me. Like I, I can't go faster than I'm going. He probably beat me to the trail by 400 yards, which is significant in that short of time. And I'm like, Maybe just there's something about this CrossFit thing as much crap as I, I mean, I know CrossFit's good, but I worry about shoulders and things. So anyway, we got up there. The only savior for me was I wasn't sore the next day uh, after I got on ERT where normally I am. Um, yeah. Frank was super sore. Frank's hiked himself into pulmonary edema. Like uh, <laughs> he, he's literally got pulmonary edema three different times from not taking breaks on the way in and his lungs expanding and contracting. Yeah. Uh, tough individual, but it, it, those hunts that we go on, I don't think people realize exactly what they're getting into. And we've run into some guys that, that knew us that are like the one dude was from South Carolina. We saw him at the, the peak of on the way in and I'm like, how you doing? He's like, and just dropping, fuck this is horrible. And I'm just like, what do you think? And he goes, it looked easy on Google earth. And I'm like, <laughs> Well, are you, you going any farther? Hell no. I left my wife back on the trail two miles. I just wanted to see how it was going. I'm like, you brought your wife? And, and <laughs> it's super tough. Like, I'll take her just about anywhere. Where we mule deer hunt, so we were going to bring her to scout. And I was like, mm, 
I don't know that I want to drag you through that. You know, like maybe we'll go to a better spot because it's pretty physically, it takes a toll. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. And I would certainly agree with that. You know, I've hunted elk four times now, three times in Colorado, once in Idaho. And it never, like, it never pans out how you look at it from Google Maps. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I do that seminar, that land nav seminar. And that's one of the first questions I ask is how many times has Google Earth lied? And if you do an overlay with uh, topo lines and, you know, your contour interval, you can get a better idea. But we know now just from looking boots on the ground and at Google Earth and, and a map, we know exactly, you know, what we're getting into. But um, we live out here, right? It's way yeah. easier for, for, for us. We can put boots on the ground way easier, obviously, because we're, you know, six hours is the farthest spot away from, from, you know, we're central Colorado. We get anywhere in six hours. So, right. No. And I would, I would say from, from my perspective, so, so I'm six to 200 pounds and I can, I can run a six minute mile. Like I was a soccer player. So that's yeah. like, so doing cardio is not like a massive issue for me. Mm -hmm. There were multiple times every year where I am just counting where I'm going up a mountain and all I'm doing is going, I'm going to go 20 steps and then I'll take a break, you know, 30 yeah. steps and then I'll take a break because like, it is just physically demanding and you get no, you get no fucking oxygen. <laughs> yeah. Equalized here, you know, and other places that might be rain or deadfall or, you know, whatever, where. Uh, Colorado it's it's oxygen ter terrain <laughs> combined and yeah you can't um, you can't put that into words I mean it's easy to say is you can't can't breathe and you know people are like oh, I played college sports I'm like yeah you didn't do it at 13,000 feet or 12 you know and so it, it it's I'm acclimated to it my house we're at right now is 10,000 feet um, I have a advantage because I live at this altitude my pulse socks at this altitude is 98 so I, I'm at a far advantage like if i lived at the same sea level as you you'd crush me but there i live here so thank god you're not going to because i'm used to no oxygen and that's a huge benefit for me and i do cardio here uh you yeah. know what i mean Packer ride my mountain bike all over the mountain we live on that's a big advantage uh in comparison because we go to like hunt alaska I, i'll get a migraine from too much oxygen like i just don't breathe hard because we, you know, we're starting off at the coast and in yeah. and feet lower than I live. So it's it's crazy when we get in other areas because I'm like, oh, this is what it's like to be able to breathe. Um, you know, and you get used to having that lack of oxygen. Right. Yeah. The air is the air is too thick here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So uh, a couple a couple more things that I wanted to to cover, which was, are there are there any hunts? So I or should say this. Um, so for for a guy like for a guy like me or generally anybody in the Midwest who's looking to do a Midwest or a Western hunt or even like a BC or Canada hunt or Alaska hunt or anything like that, um, someone that's that can that can spare five to ten grand every every few years, like yeah. what is what is a good a good hunt? that they should kind of save up for um we'll start in canada and work our way down so okay. uh would be mule deer um okay that's gonna be 5700 to 7000 
way high end at seven grand, but somewhere in that, you know, neighborhood and hunting in the land of the giants for mule deer. Um, BC uh, or Alberta black bear is a really good one. And that's way cheaper. You know, you're at 23,500 to 3,500, depending upon, you know, rut activity or whatever alberta if you want to hunt over a bait alberta you can bait i've never hunted alberta for for bear i just have friends that have um moose you can actually get a, a moose hunt for eight to ten grand it's going to be more of a meat hunt meaning you're not going to shoot a giant giant moose but um you know that's not a bad hunt at all um in there everything you know you can get a, a goat hunt um you know it's between eight and eleven uh in alaska same with uh you know bc uh, and then kind of going down, uh, you know, OTC, like, so, uh, it's free, right? You just got to get here for OTC. So yeah, yeah. anything, you know, Wyoming, I, I would stay away probably from Oregon and Washington. They're not um, the greatest states, but Montana, Wyoming, Idaho, Colorado, um, those are all great elk states. Uh, some of them have, you know, better over the counter than others. That's get here uh if you got a drop camp so you just have to pay a, a packer to uh, pack you in and drop you off that's another 500 bucks per person usually give or give or take 500 in and out they pack your animal out so that's super handy um oh ryan rotier like he owns rotier outfitting um that's uh up in like south dakota nebraska you know area yeah you know for a decent you know say somewhere between three and six grand you got antelope whitetail and mule deer uh, spot and stock hunts, which are really good with him. Um, my buddy, Scotty, you know, he's got tons of land for our dad. That's another, like the poor man's sheep, even though I think it's technically a goat. Um, those hunts are 2,500 for a, a ewe, which you can get 20 inch horns on a ewe and uh, 55 for a ram. Uh, that's that a great hunt. Uh, yeah. All the way, there are multiple properties, uh, all mountainous. Like I don't, I think people are getting an eye opener now of what they're getting into. Cause like where we go, I think people are expected feeders and an easy hunt. I don't know if you've seen the terrain, it's, it kicks the shit out of people. Um, like they just don't expect to be doing nine to 11 mile days in Texas. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's been an eye opener for some, but then like Arizona, you've got, uh, Arizona, you, you know, you can hunt, um, because the tags that your, your season starts again in January, Mm -hmm. So you can stay down there, hunt your 21 to end of December, and then go right into another mule deer hunt in 2022 in January. That you can do over the counter. And then uh, obviously I'm friends with Big Chino. They offer their several other outfitters out there. So I mean, honestly, I keep going. 10 grand's a good budget. Like that's one of the reasons like for Frank and I talk, I want to kill a doll sheep with my stick bow and I friends with the Lancasters, but it's like how many hunts for not to get into this huge argument, but, or, or debate when people say I hunt just for the meat. Well, then why are you going on a $20,000 doll sheep hunt? Because, uh, that's a lot per pound, right? You're, you're also doing <laughs> yeah. it for, the so for like Frank and I, we kind of, you know, I'm more of a simple guy. I'm mule deer and elk or whitetail. 10 grand is a big budget. I mean, that it can get you, you know, maybe not the best hunt, but that can get you a couple really good hunts or trespass fees or a landowner tag. And, you know, I've kind of learned this. There's this big, you know, badge of honor hashtag. I own public land and shit. And I get great. I, I've hunted public land my whole life. 
there are some times where, you know, it's like you lose cool points if you pay for a trespass fee. <laughs> well, it's, it's not, not have to have the mortal combat hunting thing. And so, you know, hunt over the counter one year or two years, save up some money your third year, maybe get a landowner tag, maybe put a little bit of money into having a drop camp or, or whatever. There's a ton of options. So I, I could probably talk for an hour and still not run out of a $10,000 budget. There's a lot of stuff to hunt for that much money. Yeah. And that's like, and people I, I've, I've mentioned that to some friends they're like 10 grand for a hunt. And I'm like, well, can you pack away 2,500, three grand a year? You know, can yeah. you not, can you not go to the bar for a month or two months? Like that'll, that'll start saving you some cash pretty quick. Well, it's funny people. I don't mount my animals. Um, I never, never have. And people are like, I'd love to see your trophy room. And I'm like, it's, it's, it's a uh, non-existent. Uh, we've got some Euro mounts and it's expensive. It's more hunting. And so it's like, well, when I was in, I could afford to get stuff mounted now a little bit more, but if it's 1800 bucks for a shoulder mount or 25, I was just looked at it of, man, that's a lot of hunting money. And so I just never, you know, mounted anything. It just wasn't my, my, my thing. And, uh, I mean, if I got photos in a Euro, I'm, I'm good enough. Um, I give a lot of, you know, different heads away or whatever people that want them for their house. But if you think about it, you have to have this one deer mounted. I get it. But if it was 2,500 to mount it, that's another really quality hunt for the next year or gas money or two states of out of state tags and fuel and food. And so if, do I want this fuzzy thing sticking off my wall or do I want more adventure? It was always adventure for me. I wanted to go on other hunts, prioritizing, I guess. Yeah, no, that I, I, I certainly agree. I mean, people, people tend to do a lot of stupid stuff with their money and then say they can't afford things that they want, but yeah. you know, they're, they're buying all this excess, you know, that they don't need. <laughs> yeah. Gear wise is another one. You know, I think what it is, is you can buy gear, but you can't buy hard work and, and knowledge or wisdom. Mm -hmm. and, and I get it. I'm a gear guy. Right. But if you took advice from me and, and other, uh, you know, people that have hunted a lot, it would be, you know, buy a bow every five years, you know, every six technology only changing 1%. You know, and as I say that I'm shooting a stick, right. But I mean, with a car, uh, you know, buy a bow every five years or, or buy used, right. Yeah. Uh, you get a good, like a spot hog or black gold site that is going to outlast any human, right. It's that, <laughs> same with arrow rests and stabilizers and then gear. Um, once you buy good solid gear, that's a 10 20 year investment so yeah you say that meaning boots that's um you know i i oh, sorry i don't know oh your, your phone just turned off phone came through yeah um surprised more haven't so you know with gear like boots i i smoke boots pretty fast like if i get a year out of a set of boots just because how many miles but that is one you'll probably have to keep you know every couple of years you're gonna have to buy boots you buy good clothing that is going to last a long time but minus maybe shredding some pants you buy a good pack a good shelter once that investment's done unless you start fucking with a good idea fairy and listening to dudes online you really don't need to upgrade i mean it you, you, that's the rest of your life an msre stove that's a 20 30 year stove um, you know so you don't have to keep buying gear and that people do that a lot and and frank is 
and he and I talk about it. When I was poor, I had one set of pants. It's not like now I probably have 30. So it's, uh, I'm going to head out hunting. What should I wear? Well, I know what I'm wearing. I only got one set. Right. Well, if you get that have 10 sets and it's like, do you, do you really, what could you have done on a hunting budget if you just bought the one thing you needed and, and then saved the rest to go on a hunt? And as I say that, you know, I, I have more gear than anybody I know, but I, I don't have to pay for it as much. And I try to speak from a construction worker's budget buy good the first time as much as best as you can you're probably not going to need to upgrade for a long time yeah and i think i think that's that's important too is people tend to think that like uh better gear is going to get them more animals when really it's it's time and knowledge that are going to get you more animals yeah and you can only get such a level of good gear i mean and i said this i did a couple podcasts yesterday and this question came up on both the gear doesn't get you the animal. It just makes it more comfortable. So, you, you know, is better gear going to help you? Maybe more comfort, but you don't have to have that. Um, and, and again, as you get, you know, when, you, when you're young, you're poor, right? So you, you're on a poverty budget. You use what yeah. you got. When you bring that up, yeah, buy better. It's funny. What's the one thing we need to get anywhere is, is our feet. And how many people chintz on footwear? And, and I'm one, it's catching up to me at mid-40s. It's like, well, you have to use those to go everywhere. And unless you have the foot of a of a Native American or an Ethiopian long-distance runner, you, you've probably worn shoes most of your life, so the whole barefoot mentality is gone, right? You've, you've screwed that up at a young age. So you, you need to have good footwear and good insoles. And people are like, $400 for custom orthotics? And I'm like, yeah. You only, you only need those the rest of your life. That's stupid to invest in an orthotic. Uh, oh, but oh yeah, you know, that topper that you just put on your truck that was three grand, that, that was important, right? But fuck your feet. So yeah, I, I you know, put an eight inch lift on a truck is important, but God forbid you take care of your feet. Uh, I, I, that I do have trouble wrapping my head. Or, you know, $1,000 in camo and they don't paint their face or wear a mask. It's like, you know, the CIA doesn't do elbow recognition. It's facial recognition. <laughs> so we're the same way. Like you, you got to cover your face and, and camo helps, but it's like you just spend all this money. You didn't even wear a mask uh, in the tree stand or, or on the ground. Those are the things I do get pretty cynical about. Um, yeah. And definitely probably why some people call me a dick because I'll get into arguments with that. And I'm like, so let me get this right you just bought the cheapest boot known to man for 109 bucks. You've told me I'm stupid for spending $400 on, on footwear, but you just bought your 17th AR-15. Um, that doesn't make any sense. You only have two hands and a couple fingers, right? Those kind of things people need to put into perspective, depending upon their goal. If they're a gun guy, then great. But if you're going to hunt in the wilderness, you probably want to put some more money into to gear than than you do make other things right yeah i would i would certainly agree priorities <laughs> priorities are very interesting to a lot of people nowadays yeah um, yeah well yeah the human you know it's it's, it's we're human i mean it's an american specifically like you know we it, it uh it would be interesting what happened from 1900 to 1930 from 1930 to 60 60 to 90 
you know, 90 to 2020. Is, was it the same the whole time? Like, did you have the old crowd bashing the young crowd? Did you, you know, what, what did everything parallel? It's just, we're advancing in age and technology because you always hear, uh, well, Fred Bear said, you know, shut up and be quiet and don't move and that's your best camo. And they'll bring up plaid, you don't need this. But then they, you know, you talk about Fred's ethical shooting distance was 60 yards for the stick. And if you say, well, Fred Bear also said 60 is ethical. Oh, and then and then that 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 changes all of a sudden. Don't listen to Fred anymore. We only like to, you know, the all like you can cherry eat. pick but, the information that, that we want. Yeah, and you it's true. You can you can hunt in flannel, I bet, and be dang near successful. It's not gonna be high performance material, you know, with flannel. It's flannel, right? They're right, you know, for the the camo for me isn't as much as the pattern. It's the technical, you know, materials. Yeah, I think uh, after seeing, you know, whatever in the last couple of years, I've been doing more solids, um, and I know you like to hunt in solids. And I think, I think camo is there for, for the human element. Like it gets you to buy it on the shelf, right? It gets you to buy it off the shelf. There is certainly some, some reason that you would want a. a a breakup like lights and darks to kind of break that up. But I mean, when you're yeah. looking at a grayscale, you know, as, as a, as an animal and you're looking at it like a real tree or a mossy oak type pattern, like that stuff's made for humans to purchase, not to really necessarily conceal you in the woods that way. Yeah, and it's I, all the same color. I, th I think sometimes like, um, you know, maybe a camo top, but again, camo in your face or, or, or again, earth tones like I, I like hunting in solid pants um I've shot a lot of shit with a sleeveless t-shirt on because it's hot and you know with the chew in and, yeah uh, if my job you know I'm okay but there are times that you know maybe you know camo helps definitely getting the shine off your face helps mm -hmm. but um putting things into perspective for people it's it's um if you can afford it definitely support a hunting company you know obviously do that but it's like, don't spend all your money, you know, buy key pieces that are important, but you can go buy a set of, you know, pants on sale for 80 bucks that are good enough to do, do anything you need. And, you know, if you have the money, it is cool to have cool shit. I get that and don't deny that. But when you're figuring out that budget, that's where it's really important. If you've got a lot of money, then just buy whatever you want. But when you're poor, that's when I try to like, Hey, these are the important things. These are not so important. So, so don't get wrapped up on the internet trying to find a 23% FOC arrow, uh, you know, in the, in the newest, latest, greatest pattern and matching. It's like, it's better right. not to animal's eye than it is to match. Yeah. That's, that's always an interesting topic. I like to match cause I think I look cool then. Yeah. <laughs> is that way? Like, I, and I get it, you know, but it's, it's for me, I hate going into a gas station with camo pants on. It's like mayonnaise to me. I just, I, and so I always, not What's always. wrong with mayo? I, I'm not a mayo guy. Nah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I try not to ever wear camo pants and I've never, you know, Frank, he wears pretty much all solids and has a camo jacket. You, you can get it done. Again, it's your skill level and animal behavior yeah. and things. I mean, it really come like for whitetails. I th I think it mainly comes down to movement, just like flat out movement. You know, I mean, it, it, the easiest way to think about it for me is like when you're walking through the woods with your buddies and they just all of a sudden stop moving, um, and just stand there. It's easy to lose them, you know, because yeah. you, your, your just, eyes are ready for movement. 
same with flagging guys in from, you know, thousand yards away, um, whatever, if you're neutral colors, uh, you know, earth tones and, and camo, once you stop, it's pretty hard to find, you know, you just look like a rock if you're earth tones and, you know, whatever. But I think probably if there was an importance for camo, whitetail hunting would be more important than maybe hunting out, out West, um, depending, but again, like you said, movement and then obviously tree stand positioning you know good back cover and then nothing shiny um you know i try to always flip my i've had three animals now blow out because my freaking giant watch face from the sun hitting it well and what it is isn't that they blew out from that they caught that shine it's not normal in a tree um or on it happened and then then it's the waiting game you know of them looking up and i've got like a five minute you know maybe patience level before something has to move right like if they're and they'll stay there that long looking at you and then they start and uh, same way on the ground if if you're like on an elk if all of a sudden he catches a shine and his vitals are behind a tree he's going to start giving you that sneak look and he's waiting for movement right. and most humans it's five minutes you know and your knees are hurting something's shaking you hit my who knows what position you were your next getting you're going to move and then they, yeah. they blow out. Yep. And that happened. I don't know how the hell it happened to me this year. I got out late one morning um, after I dropped my kid off at daycare, made it into uh, an area, got set up. Actually, I didn't make it out late. What happened was I got set up in this kind of swampy area. Talked yeah. to these duck hunters. They were pulled up in the same spot. I said, which side of the road are you guys going? Because I'm going to go the other side. He's like, oh, we're going over here perfect. I'll go the other way. I get in there. I'm hauling in my tree stand and shit. Um, I go in to set it up and I'm in it for 15 minutes and here come their fucking headlights, like right to me. And I'm like, come on. Like I even asked which way you're going, man. And so they, they come in and they kicked out a couple deer to me, um, a couple does. And after about 30 minutes, um, of them tromping around and then they shot it, they shot one duck. I was like, all right, I'm out of here. Got down and I moved to like kind of my secondary position that I had in mind in case someone was out there. And I was eyeballing a tree, trying to get up in it, figuring out how I was going to get in it and how I was going to set up. Cause it was kind of, it was on a point and it was all by itself. So it's like, all right, I can get in this tree and I can see everything, but everything can probably see me too. So uh, I was sitting at the base of the tree, trying to understand that and ended up here comes a doe at 15 yards coming out of, out of this, these cattails. So can't see her until she gets to 15 and that the point's pretty grassy, you know, maybe a foot, two feet tall. She comes in and then another doe comes in and here comes a buck. It was like October 23rd or 24th, a nice eight point. Um, certainly would have killed him. He comes in and he's pushing this doe around the front doe sees me blows out. She just picks me like instantly. Like as soon as she stopped looking, she knew exactly where I was. Uh, she blows out, but he's still pushing this other door around. They get behind this big, big bush and I draw. And when I draw the doe catches me and not then. And this is one of those instances where a recurve would have been extremely nice because yeah. my top limb was hitting a branch and like moving to try to get that bow off that branch is the movement that the buck then caught. And, and he just stared at me through this bush for, I don't know, a minute, maybe that's how long I held my bow. And then I had to let down, you know, I was yeah. 
um, I had to let down and, and I tried to do it as, as nicely as I could, but that wasn't happening. He was out. Just after holding it back for a minute, there's not a lot left in the tank to uh, smoothly let your bow down is the yeah. muscle. And, yeah. Yeah, and I, and I follow, like, I follow your method. One of your, one of your methods that I, that I like is essentially, um, and it maybe, maybe this isn't your method. Um, it's just an idea that I like is, is essentially if I'm able to, to pull back, I have a 75 pound VXR, um, at a 30 inch draw and I'm shooting a 530 grain arrow. Like I'm shooting through a whole lot of stuff. Um, and, but if I'm able to do that, that means that I can shoot through grass. I can shoot through bushes that are right in front of the animals and whatnot, and it's going to punch through. Um, and if I hit a shoulder, I should be able to punch right through a whitetail with that. So no, definitely shoot the most weight you're comfortable with. That's, that's what I tell everyone. The problem yeah. is, is you, and Rogan shoot 90 pound bows now and there's not very many people one you don't need it I don't get I mean I'm a high poundage guy I've always shot 80 to 90 pounds but it's like look um technology is pretty amazing right a 75 of today is 90 of old right so yeah 70 75 pounds today is producing what back in the day 90 would um so you don't really have to shoot 90 but i i suggest for everybody to shoot if you can shoot 75 shoot 75 you're never going to walk out and be like damn my bow was too powerful shit <laughs> so you want to shoot the most you can yeah and and i have one of my friends so i have a few friends that ask me bow questions and i am certainly not the guy to go to i can answer a few things um but one of the things i say is like shoot what you can draw back smoothly like when you're yeah. in a tree and you got a, you got a deer coming in, you want to be able, you don't want to have to do the whole shoot for the moon kind of, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> type yeah. of thing. The Luke sky drawer, Luke Cadillo, he does the full sky draw, you know, thing. And uh, I, you know, I have to say like guys that, that guys from back East or Midwest coming to the West to hunt yeah. are going to pulls like I've seen whitetail guys for good reason that are used to hunting whitetails not draw back on elk worried they'll blow out because of how sketchy whitetails are and me going the other direction uh, i learned really quick that um like sitting in the tree stand doing that is bad right it's like you got <laughs> shifting your head just yeah oh i mean quicker than anything like you know i just i'd hear something breaking i'm like yeah that that's not you know i'm right now i'm more like trying to look slow <laughs> Yeah, look with your eyes, not your head, right? Mm-hmm. Coming from the west, elk move a lot. They make a lot of noise. You can get away with a lot until they're looking at you where a deer comes in, especially if he's been shot at from that tree stand. He's like in Alabama. They don't even look down like, <laughs> the whole time. I got a kick out of it. Talk about putting things in perspective. I hung a couple of tree stands for elk for midday sits. Well, they're in aspens right so there's no there's no you you know i had multiple guys you big dummy i thought you're a good hunter you look like a buzzard you know whatever the, the normal and it's like have you ever hunted elk because they don't look up right they, they don't they're not whitetails they don't even know danger from a tree so you can look like a buzzard for the most part to a certain degree with an elk because they don't they don't look up where right. whitetail constant where, where i hunted i mean it was like <laughs> and, I, and you just Every gotta be it, looking yeah it helps though i mean it helps you become a better hunter for sure 
Yeah. Just getting, yeah. I mean, just getting sneaky and figuring out how to set up those tree stands. And, and one of the other when, things that, that I just like to, to grab your bow up when it takes you three minutes to get your hand up to the easy hanger to pull your bow off, you know, you're hunting sketchy deer. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Or you just like, fuck it. I'm just keeping it on my lap. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean that positioning, the positioning of that tree stand and ensuring that you, uh, that you don't, I mean, even just not sitting in the same tree every year, right. Even if it's moving at 10 yards, but you're still shooting the same trail, at least it might give you that half second that you need to be able to shoot that animal. But that's one thing where that tethered, the uh, diaper, whatever the. Yeah. Saddle. What is tree saddle. That tree saddle. It, I mean, you know, I get it. The whole diaper, you know, I'm, I'm all about making funny memes. It's, it's fucking handy. Like you sit in the same tree, a buck come by at a certain spot, mm-hmm. you know, three or four times or two times. You don't have this giant production if you're in a ladder or, you know, you're not making a ton of noise. I can run over there, come in like literally, okay, he's crossed there at four o'clock every day, plus or minus five minutes. I can go over there, pop up in that thing, stand on a branch if needed for an hour and a half to get that shot. Um, yeah. Like we, all these tree stands in Oklahoma and Texas. And we did, we, we do two, it's a river bottom. So, you know, long river bottom, uh, north and south, uh, river bottoms, east and west. The, the, the wind generally comes from the south or the north, but predominantly the south. So when we set up tree stands, we set them up on one and the other side of the, the river bottom because of the wind. We did a couple where we set up two to three tree stands in one spot just to shift around these traveling corridors if that so you're not deer get smart real quick when they're shot at i mean humans would too right so if you can yeah. move 20 yards 30 yards they're not looking at the same you know you leave a tree stand up for 10 years every deer in town is going to know when they come in i've been shot at by there before you know bill told me about that like you got to try to be semi-smart um you know, when you're, if you're setting up stationary or long-term stands. Yeah. 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 For sure. Um, all right. So just a couple of the things and then I'll let, uh, I'll let you go. I know you got some, some bows are probably showing up here soon <laughs> or you got to get to that garage. I've seen your, your Instagram stories of your garage. And, uh, I worked in Jackson hole for Safari club international one summer and yeah. they had, it, it was this big camp for, for teachers to come out and teach how to use hunting and fishing in their classroom. Right. So we had in the basement of that, of that big cabin, we were outfitted by Cabela's and we had enough gear for like 30 people to go spend the night out in the woods. You have far more gear than that in your garage, in your basement. (laughs) Got it. And my friends steal it all the time. So I don't know what I'd have if they didn't, I, I sponsor many of my friends. They put it sponsored by Aaron Snyder. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've seen that on Jake's Jake Downs's Instagram a few times. Yeah. yeah. Um. So uh, a, a couple, two questions that I that I that I want to wrap up with is is one. What is one of your your worst hunting stories? What is like a, a time that you're like, man, that sucked. BC uh, Grizzly Mountain Hunt. BC Grizzly, by far the worst hunt I've ever been on. First guided hunt I've ever 
been on too. Um, it was uh, uh, just the, the, the long and short of it. The guy that I went with, Cal, from First Light, he kind of suggested it. He wanted to go. Uh, the guide, which I still don't like to this day, um, and, and I've known him for a long time. When we went in there, um, huge, we, we found a seven-foot um, only bear we saw in 10 days. Um, first day, I glassed it up. We get in this huge argument, and I'm like, dude, I got a stick bow. I'm not looking for a monster. I, it, that thing's six years old. It's seven feet plus long. I'm going to kill it. It's brown. I'm going over. He doesn't want me to. We'll find bigger. You know, that's a small bear. Don't worry about it. There's tons of bears. I end up like, look, I'm going. There's nothing you can do about it. I don't give a shit. It's legal. I'm going to shoot it. He kind of blew it out on purpose. Um, I was six, five yards from it. It was coming straight down to me. Wind was right in my face. And I'm like, man, I'm going to have an eight yard shot on this thing because it was eating white ash coming down a, a boulder field. Anyway, look back, bear blows out and that ding dong's upright, walking right to me from one boulder to another, picked them up. And bears are don't have great vision, but it's, it's that definitely would have seen that, you know, nine days later, didn't see another bear. And he's like, oh, you shouldn't have come. It's way too late. And I'm like, well, what the fuck on day one, you're telling me you'll find bigger. We're going to find more bears. Like now you're blaming it on my buddy, the outfitter that he shouldn't have sent me in this late. You're the one that said, don't shoot the first bear. Cause we'd see more. And it was one of those, he didn't have a water bladder. He had really cheap gear. So he's constantly talking shit about my high end gear. He ran out of batteries and asked if he could borrow some of mine. His stove broke, you know, I think I brought all my own gear, but it was yeah. one of those, those where, the year, you know, and I stay positive. I didn't whine about it at the time. I mean, you're back there, right? But it's like not a good experience. So that would probably be the worst hunt I've yeah. been on. It that goes not physically. I mean, it was a long backpack in, but it was not because of that. Just the overall experience. Yeah, just disappointing in that guy with with the guide and yeah, the the quality well, that he was bringing to the table. One fucking animal. Like we didn't see yeah. anything else either. We, one bear we didn't see caribou we didn't see deer and so that um uh that was rough yeah <laughs> nine days of not seeing shit um do you think that that that's like one of those things that when you go with the hunting partner i know i know you've done some podcasts on hunting partners it's essentially like hey man be sure to to have your own shit together so that like you're not needing me for everything I don't uh, experience that anymore. Like, you know, I've got um, three guys I hunt with that I don't have to worry about. Um, guiding, though, yeah, yeah, it's definitely, you know, you wouldn't think that you would have to say, hey, bring water. And then, you know, at 11, they're like, did you bring water? And I'm like, uh, we have some. So, like, we've tried to get a lot better about, obviously, we always have water in the truck. You know, we have a big cooler, but I have to make sure, you know, which is my job anyway, but it's like, Hey, make sure you have water with you. Yeah. Backpack hunting the people they I don't have to worry about any of that. So. Nice. Um, what was that? There's a question I was going to ask off that, which is can't remember. So move on next one. Okay. So the last question I got for you is what is a, a piece of gear that you can talk about? that you're excited to use this fall um 
other than Kafaru, I would say that new Zolio uh, was one that and I'm pretty excited to see how it stacks up against the inReach. It's a satellite communication device links up to your phone. Um, that would be one. Uh, that new pack that I was telling you about, I'm pretty excited about that. Um, it's just a, a, a very lightweight, you know, large pack for backpack hunting. Um, yeah. I don't know. There's not really anything... Um, you know, too state of the art, like technology only goes so far. So like, yeah, some of the more like sorry actors, some of the different, you know, things that I know work really well are great. Um, the Garmin 701, the wristwatch compass GPS that I use is something I always have, but as far as new stuff, there's not nothing groundbreaking right now that's coming across the plate where I'm like, okay, this is a game changer. Yeah. Um, technology advanced. It's hard to, it's hard to reinvent the wheel. I mean, you know, you might save a little weight here or there, whatever, but I mean, the gear of the last five years, nothing has really come on board that, that has been a, like a range finder that, that changed the outdoor industry forever. Um, mm -hmm. Being the range, we're probably not going to have, you know, they came out with that garment zero and Burris has got an Oracle or something. I'm not a big fan of those. I think that's kind of crossing a, a moral line that I have of like, if you suck so bad that you can't judge a target. Uh, so, you know, like you have to have your a computer do your shit for you. Um, that's a little bit much for me. Um, but that would, that could potentially change, you know, the industry like a rangefinder did, but I yeah, nothing that's like that now that I've seen. And I get to see a lot of gear. <laughs> so yeah. No, and that's, that's good to know. And it goes back to your point earlier of like, you know, once you have certain pieces of gear once you have your camo once you have your tent your shelter once you have your bag you know if you buy good quality not a whole lot's going to change unless like there's some massive invention and it's good to know because i'm sure there's a lot of people figuring out okay what do is there anything new that i should get this year anything that's going to make my life easier um and if they're if what? they're just starting out it's kind of like well, buy what you can afford, save up over the months, buy good quality stuff, and you'll have it for years. Um, and you don't always have to buy the newest, latest, and greatest to be cool. The one thing I would like make sure people weigh out with that is if you're uh, dropping, let's say your sleeping bags weighs three pounds and it's 15 degrees, and you're going to drop 800 bucks on a new bag, two pounds, 12 ounces. Uh, you know, so you're saving four ounces. If you're 50 pounds overweight, get your fat ass on the treadmill because you're really not putting things into perspective because yes, you can buy and save four ounces. You can stop eating ho-hos and, and drop 40. Um, so, yeah. you, you know, same thing with anything as far as shooting ability, rather than buying new bows, maybe pay the money to go see a coach, get a little bit better at shooting, you know, trying to put things into perspective. And I get crap about saying things like that but it, I mean, the truth hurts and i have to put myself in check sometimes like do i really need to shoot 300 arrows again today or should i probably go get on my mountain bike and ride a little bit um you know there's <laughs> yeah. way of yeah i think the, the one of the things today i mean there's a whole lot of money floating around in the economy right now especially with all the stimulus checks and stuff that's that's come on and and the easy button is well this piece of gear will do it for me and yeah. and a piece of gear won't make you lose 50 pounds, you know, not shoving ho-hos in your mouth will. Yeah. And it's not like I'm this from a skinny kid from birth. I'm a fat kid. So I get it. 
and that's why I say I have to put myself in check at times of like, okay, what's more important hitting the gym or doing cardio? Should I shoot that? You know, should, you know, whatever, uh, land nabs, another one, you know, let's buy a $700 GPS, but God forbid you buy a $39 compass and a map and actually learn to manually navigate. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's one of the, that's a very thing. That's one thing that I'm very thankful for. My parents made me do as a kid was figure all that shit out so that if I ever do, if I can't trust electronics, I have a map and a compass, I can figure it out. Um, all right. Before we wrap up, um, for all the whitetail hunters out there, what are your whitetail packs? What are, what are packs that people buy for whitetail hunters? Striker XL, um, is probably, in my opinion, in, in minis that for packing in a stand and getting a deer out, I don't know that there was a better pack design with the shelf in the bag and everything else. So if your crown blinds are packing in uh, stands and steps or climbers, that was pretty dang hard to beat. Um, we definitely, that was, I, I don't want to say groundbreaking, but that certainly changed the game a bit for packing in tree stands. We have a new one of those coming out probably in a month. Uh, it's a version of our like nomad fulcrum um, wing pack. So it's a striker with wings. That's going to be another good one for whitetail hunting. As far as in the tree, uh, the shape charge is something I use a ton uh, when I don't have to pack a tree stand in. Holds my camera gear, my jacket, you know, all the normal stuff that I need. Um, you know, the door gunner for for warmer weather where you just need a basic amount of stuff. You don't need a clothing. That door gunner is pretty dang, you know, hard to beat. But as far as backpacking in, like what I did when I was in Wisconsin, going on deactivated logging roads or you know, yeah. packing in, you know, you don't, I didn't leave my tree stand there where I was packing in my lone wolf climber or, or a hang on that striker is pretty dang hard to beat. And you can strap, I think I, I strapped three javelinas and one at one time. And that's same when I put that sheep in, you can yeah. put a lot of crap. Okay. Yeah. I have the, I have the shape charge. So, um, I got that one last year. I used it for about six hunts and I do, I do run one of those saddles depending on where I'm at and whatnot, I have an arrow hunter saddle and uh, I actually have, I just put the sticks in those uh, side buckles. You got one side buckle for the, well, I just kind of hook them all together, but you could even put them in the water bottle pouches. Yeah. You plot your sticks in there and then just buckle them in. And then I just throw my sat, I wear my saddle in, or I just throw it in my backpack. I like that one a lot because when you, the thing that I liked about it the most was when you hang it up, and you open like and you open the top zipper it unfolds and there's pockets right there for you so that's where yeah. i keep all my camera shit i talked to yeah. i asked frank about that one i was like what do you guys run for for camera gear and he was like shape charge yeah and i do the same thing because that where that bends that zipper stops when you open it yeah. so i usually have like a 200 and i just dump it right there and then i unzip the mesh pocket and i'll have my grunt call or whatever you know sitting there um and I, that's what I had when I shot that big acorn buck or whatever was um, the shape charge. And literally what saved me from to kill it was he like a jet dummy. I had two in my hand and I was messing around on Instagram because I was bored and look up and that deer's facing me because of that flat section. And I'm not trying to oversell the pack, but I literally just had to move my hand 12 inches to the right and drop my phone on that where that folds over yeah. and set it. And literally squeezed my chew between my legs when this deer, because it circled my my stand totally. Luckily, the thermals were going up. And when it got behind me, I, I reached up to grab my bow because this it's a hundred and seventy some inch 
you know, gross white-tailed, biggest white-tail I'd ever killed. Mm, I had shit running down both legs, right? I was like, <laughs> thing at eight yards. So when it when it circled, you know, putting things into perspective of, okay, what could have gone wrong and what did I do right? Having that pack with, with everything where it's not allowed to just set things on is important because it doesn't make any noise. And in that case, if the wind wasn't blowing, I mean, I couldn't make much noise. I was scared to death the tree stand was going to creak because you could have heard a flea fart from 100 yards out. Like the, the noise was a problem. Uh, yeah, on that, on that on that note, a flea fart, if you haven't watched the Snyderisms videos, you should go check yeah. those out. <laughs> it's not safe for work, but they are fucking funny. Snyderism <laughs> t-shirt, actually. My wife and Jerry Shaw came up with it. So Nice. All right. Well, hey, everyone. Um, Kafaru Cast is where you can listen to Aaron's podcast. Um, just find it on any of the sources. Uh, also, Kafaru, is it Kafaru.net, right? Yep, Kafaru.net. Kafaru.net. And then Aaron Snyder on Instagram with with one A. It's not a one. Aaron. It's just no. Just one A. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, hey, Aaron, thanks for hopping on. Really appreciate it, man. Um, for everybody listening, uh, if you are interested in saddle hunting, uh, this podcast is sponsored by Arrow Hunter Saddles. So you can certainly uh, go out there, check them out. 100% USA made, made in uh, Oregon. So definitely uh, go take a look at them. And then if you would leave a review, really appreciate that. All right. Thanks again for coming on, Aaron. Appreciate it. Yep. Thanks for having me, man. Take it easy. See ya.